This is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and we're having a conversation about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So my first, I'm going to tell you what's astonishing me right now. Um, Easter is in 30 seconds. That is what is astonishing me. Wow. I'd better get to writing myself. you (laughs) are behind, and I just, you know, Lent always seems like this really long season and then all of a sudden Mm. it's just almost over and um holy week and just all of the really good but intense things that are part of that are like 30 seconds away and Mm. so um i'm probably not interesting to anyone else but i just woke up this morning and thought like oh easter's in 30 seconds and i am behind always so that is what is astonishing me well, speaking of Easter and resurrection, uh, I'm astonished by um, a lecture I was listening to this morning as I was getting ready, doing the normal stuff of breakfast and getting the toddler ready for preschool. Okay. Matthew's not just, a toddler, by the way. Well, he's four. He's actually he no longer toddles. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging <laughs> okay. on. Just. Newsflash. Well, I was listening to uh, this lecture by N.T. Wright. Um, As one does in the morning. That's what I do. That's, <laughs> that's how I roll. I listen to deep theological lectures in the morning while I'm getting my kid ready for preschool. Uh, so I was listening, and um, he was talking about, a, about resurrection, and he was telling a story about a funeral, his godson's funeral. Uh, young man, 30, died of cancer. And he said the service was beautiful, wonderful words said. Um, he said his problem was that the word resurrection was mentioned once. Mm-hmm. And it was mentioned at the beginning of the service, you know, as they're processing in and someone is reading scripture uh, during the processional. He said it wasn't explained. And he said, So when I look back on the service, basically it came across as what a wonderful life, tragic death. He's gone home, in air quotes, to be with the Lord, Hmm. period. And Wright goes on from there to say, hey, we Christians, we forget there's something else Mm -hmm. there, and it's called resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so I'm 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 thinking about that in relationship to the Easter message that I'm going to preach this Sunday because normally you're not preaching often, Easter summer service this Sunday. Did I say this Sunday? <laughs> yes. See, you said thirty seconds. It's in my I know head. Easter's thirty seconds See, away, but it's, it's not this head. Sunday. Sorry. Yes, I meant Easter this, message. I meant this year. Okay. It, so, it really hurts my heart that you already have a plan for your Easter. Well, service, I'm thinking. Okay. You know, usually or often, I'm you know, Jesus rose, a victory. Um, um, victory over sin, victory over death, all of that is true. But normally I don't talk about new creation. And if the resurrection means anything, it means 
the inauguration of the new creation. And it is a reminder that our ultimate destiny is not as some disembodied soul floating in heaven mm-hmm. playing a harp as, you know, often depicted in cartoons, but that we're going to be physical people on this physical planet that's renewed, that's not subject to disease or... Shalom. Yes, shalom. And I have to admit, my mind can't fully comprehend it. I get bits and pieces and glimpses and shadows of it. But I need to go there much more often in my preaching. Um, And I I don't. And so I'm just astonished by that aha. Oh, yeah. I'm one of those people that that leaves that out. Well, I do. um, I was at an Andy Stanley event earlier today and not earlier this year. And um, what I found really helpful about his um, talking about how he does ministry is just bringing everything back to the resurrection and just sort of saying, like, this is what we preach. We don't preach the Bible says blah, 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 because people... I mean, why should people the Bible be people's reference point when they are discovering faith in Christ, right? I mean, what we what we proclaim is the resurrection event, and then we extrapolate everything from there. And I mean, that's straight up Paul, right? Like, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then there is no resurrection, and we are fools, right? Right. And I and I do think that that makes sense. That the resurrection is not one thing among many things that God did that was remarkable. It is to say. This is the event that reveals who God is, and ultimately, it's where our hope comes from, that sin and death um, won't have the final word, and that there's a way that even even those things can be redeemed into a source of hope. Like, we were talking about that on Sunday, just the idea that my whole life, I've never really understood the cross or growing up, I never Mm. understood the cross. Mm -hmm. Like I never, I mean, I know what it was, but I never really understood why that was such a meaningful symbol. Like, Mm. why do you want to walk Mm -hmm. around wearing whatever, like Mm -hmm. an executioner's chair, right? Right, Like it just doesn't, didn't make sense to me. And now as I'm, but you know, it's one of those questions that you don't ask because you you don't want to stand, put your hand up and be like, you know, what does the God of love have to do with this thing? But I think, you know, now, and what I want people in my community to understand is the way, the reason that the cross is meaningful to us is because we look at what it was created to be by humanity and by the powers and principalities of darkness and then we who know the end of the story which is that god transformed that instrument of injustice and torture and death into the very source of life hope joy new birth right like this the cross really is the symbol for the great reversal that we have our hope in in general and so you know i really want people I want to say that really explicitly, that the reason the cross is meaningful to us is not because Jesus died. um, It's because God was able to redeem even that death Mm. into a source of goodness and life and hope for us. And if God can redeem that Mm. and is willing Mm. to redeem that, and you know, then there is, then I can really hope that God's goodness is enough and strong enough um, and that's why I put my faith in that, yeah. not in my faith, right? So yeah. I remember in the lecture this morning, uh, Auntie Wright said, often we preach the resurrection as the happy ending to the cross. Right. 
um, I was like, oh, yeah, guilty. I've done that. I've done As that. opposed to the new, the beginning of new creation, yeah. Shalom. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have to say, though, I think, strangely enough, I love doing funerals more than any other part of this life because I don't know how N.T. Wright would score me, but I do feel like there's just something so profoundly holy about being able to stand up in front of grieving people and say and mean and believe this is not the end that, you know, that they're, and you, and this isn't, again, it's not a Tinkerbell thing. Like you don't have to believe it in order to make it true, right? Like we're surrounding you with these promises so that we're facing the reality and announcing the brutality of this death and, and, and grieving it because death wasn't created to be intended to be a part of creation. And, and yet even at the grave, we make our song yeah. Because because of resurrection and the first fruits of that, so yeah, yeah. I do. That is my favorite. Way better than weddings. I don't know. I I like weddings. Of course you do. <laughs> what are you thinking about? I am thinking about um, um, again spiritual formation and spiritual formation in relation to our community at Dorita Church, and specifically uh, the elders of Dorita Church. I just started reading a book by Robert Mulholland. Uh, The book is Invitation to a Journey, a Roadmap for Spiritual Formation. And I've been thinking about, okay, how how are we shaping, how are we forming people spiritually at Dorita Church? Mm -hmm. And um, I have to confess, I've been a bit frustrated with us um, because I want to have this big conversation about discipleship and I'm realizing, oh, we're not ready. And so being out of town this past weekend, having a long drive to Atlanta, it occurred to me, or I'll probably be more accurate in saying the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. let me know, reminded me that it's okay to start small. And we don't need to. Hey, that's my word. <laughs> we don't need to start with the whole congregation. We need to start with our own spiritual lives and the life of the people around the table in our board meetings, right? So, right. how are we being formed as spiritual leaders? And um, uh, this book uses in the first chapter a. a Really, for me, a helpful image because I'm so impatient. Um, he says, often we treat our spiritual life or spiritual formation like a vending machine, right? You put your money in, you press the button, you get out mm-hmm. a product. And we want to put our time into disciplines, mm-hmm. work the disciplines, and then get this product mm-hmm. out. And we want it pretty immediately. And he says, imagine, or just think about what people do after they put their money in and press the button and the thing doesn't come out immediately. Mm -hmm. They bang on the machine. They Mm -hmm. yell at it. They complain to other people. And basically, I I can do that as a leader. Mm -hmm. And I I fail to remember so often that this is really a long journey, as Peterson says, in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. There you go. Yes. I mean, I... I think it's such an interesting thing because, um, you know, there's two pulls for me. And and one is having a a deep trust that the Holy Spirit is at work 
um, in ways that I can't always perceive and um, and also really proclaiming and naming for people that that they are already caught up in the love of God that you know mm-hmm. they can look into the cross and find deep peace mm-hmm. that God's goodness is for them and not against them right and so so wanting sort of that sense of peace and then also wanting people and wanting myself not to live in cheap grace this idea of like yeah. well, where i am is i mean you know how do you how do you balance people not feeling like they need to do more earn more be mm-hmm. more in mm-hmm. order to hit some sort of mythic stride but also help help myself and people around me to say like no discipleship is not these ideas that I intellectually assent to it's a way of living that I want to follow Jesus and that I need you know the indwelling and the power of the Holy Spirit in, and I want to participate in it not have to but get to and just finding the the balance yeah. of that is really difficult and I feel like in my congregation you know there are half the people in the congregation who really like explicitly um would say that the living reality of trying to follow Jesus more and more is the center of every day, the center of their identity, mm-hmm. the most important thing to them that they name. And so I, I always feel sort of uh, kind of apologetic to those folks about, you know, we're, you know, the community isn't enough or other people aren't where you mm-hmm. are or whatever. And then other folks for whom I know the Lord is at work in their lives. And I know that they love God, but more importantly, I know that God loves them, and I trust where God has drawn them into their, where God has drawn them in their lives. And those folks, I kind of want to say, like, oh gosh, there's so much more. <laughs> like, let yeah, me, help. you yeah. know, and I, and and so, kind of feeling pulled mm-hmm. in between, like one half of the congregation, I just want to say, take a breath, you know, enjoy God where yeah. you are. And the other half of the congregation, I want to say, like, come on, there's more. And you're looking for life in the wrong place. And, you know, you, you want to shift things to the center. And, and finding that balance is really is really difficult, um, I think. And yeah. Well, I am starting to, um, and probably should have done this a long time ago, to take my eyes, not completely off the congregation, but to... <laughs> Look at myself a bit more. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm seeing that one of the things that I've been doing in my own spiritual formation is that I, I tend to do it within um, the interior walls of my own life as an introvert. You know, I, I have these spiritual practices and disciplines that have uh, blessed me and shaped me and done all sorts of wonderful things for me. But I don't do a very good job of letting people in. Right, And so I can be very disciplined in my own life and then show up in the world, show up in the church, like, how come you guys aren't doing this? Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing, oh, because no one has helped you, led you, discipled you. Mm-hmm. So instead of kind of wagging a finger at people saying, hey, you ought to, or you ought to, you ought to walk with me. Mm-hmm. Let's do some things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so and I'm I, making that shift. And I think it's tough in the particularity of Presbyterian culture that 
I think, you know, the, for generations, we've really explicitly told leaders that it was their job to safeguard the institution, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of the spirituality thing is nice, but do that on your own time. But when you show up here, yes. you know, start a program, advocate for something, you know, mm-hmm. be a trustee. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really want you to do the, we've talked about this before, the business mm-hmm. of the church. The trust, That's yeah. what's important. And so to make that shift is, is really quite quite difficult for people because in a way it really does feel like you're changing up the rules on them and that's I mean which is what we need to do but also just Mm -hmm. to be sympathetic about you know people have really been doing what they have been taught to do right and so yes yeah yeah that's interesting well relatedly I had I'm thinking about um one of the great gifts of pastoring a church is when the worship service is over, you I mean you stand at the back, and a lot of people come and, and just greet you, mm-hmm. and it is so. I mean, for my extroverted heart, I like I just I love to talk to people. I love that people are willing because you know I know that if I just showed up in the congregation, I wouldn't get to know everybody, right? Mm-hmm. But because of the role I play. It just gives me an opportunity. People will come and connect with me, and it's such a such a gift. Um, and and people say, you know, all sorts of interesting things. Um, if the sermon's bad, they tell you they like your hair. <laughs> so, but this Sunday, um, two different people in the congregation said the same thing to me, hmm. not at the same time. About the um, sermon. No. Um, I'll get there. Okay. Hold your roll. Um, and both of these people are people who are, are just very much chasing after the Holy Spirit all hmm. the time, right? So they're people who, when they pray, they don't talk, they listen, hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I work, obviously, on listening in every part of my life. So I say it so you don't have to. Yes, anyway, so... But both of these people came up to me at separate times and said, um, the Lord said to me that you need to be kind to yourself. Wow. Wow. Which is just a really, like, I mean, as a gift, I I mean, I really, it was, it was a a beautiful gift of a moment. And, and I've been trying to hold on to the revelation of that and sit with that and really honestly and like I'm not like I'm not an unhappy person I really love my life I'm you know yes but it's I would been, say that's true of you but it's just been interesting to think like well if I believe that which I mean I do intellectually and spiritually not always emotionally but I mean mm-hmm. I, I do so if I be- believe that that God spoke to people Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I don't listen enough to say, you know, what I want for you is to be kind to yourself. I mean, first of all, that's just such a a gorgeous and grace-filled thing because I worry a lot and a lot of my Mm. work is motivated by worry and, and, you know, just whatever. But I was sitting with that and realizing... And and by the way, um, our charismatic friends would say... That is part of the role of New Testament prophecy. There's a place mm-hmm. where Paul says, uh, I believe it's in Corinthians, that it's for encouragement, comfort, and edification. Those three mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, so I just, I love receiving that. And as I sit with that, I think, well, gosh, like, I wonder what that looks like. 
like what you know what does that look like and mm. it's interesting because Colin's out of town this week and the girl you know I'm trying to juggle the schedule of the girls and so part of it is like you know does that mean whatever we order takeout I do some online <laughs> shopping like what like kind of what I reflexively say like okay well this is what in the moment in the short term I want to do but feel like I shouldn't so this is permission to to do it right yeah. like go to old navy do whatever but um <laughs> and then sitting with that and going like well that's pretty I mean I don't uh, whatever I I think it's obviously that's what the culture says being mm-hmm. kind to yourself looks like is treat yourself or indulge yourself you but that's not it. Uh, right <laughs> right I'm worth it yeah, um but those those obviously are not, you know, fruitful things. And so yeah. then I was thinking, like, probably... And I mentioned it to another friend. Yesterday we were working on something, and she said, well, if you don't know what that looks like, maybe you should inquire of the Lord. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> That's an obvious thought. But she said it very... She she did not <laughs> say idiot. But I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks for telling me that. Um, so great. And so I was sitting with that, and, and what I... What came to me, um, and as my monkey brain bounced around, is that I should pay more attention to my interior voice mm. and kind of the way I talk to myself to motivate myself to do things. And I was just thinking that. Mm. I was just thinking kindness probably has to do with the way you talk to yourself about yourself. But anyway, go ahead. Well, and just sort of how this, you just sort of finish every day. And I, I love what I do, and I certainly love what God is doing in the church. But you kind of finish every day thinking like, oh, gosh, didn't get to that. Like, mm. oh, should have done that. Or, That's oh, not yes. going well. And yes. and a lot of our work needs to be looking deeply at the things that could be better, right? Mm. Like mm-hmm. looking to, so, so it's hard sometimes to do that work of looking at what needs to be better and like looking soberly at you know, where, where you aren't and you need to be. And then to not sort of internalize that in your interior voice as like, well, why aren't you, how come you haven't really after all this time you can't, you know? And so to sort of think about that and another friend of mine posted something, um, on social media about, about, I mean, really she didn't use the words, but about being kind to herself. And the line that she said that was really interesting was, um, you know, I need to forgive myself for not doing this, that, or the other that I said that I would do. And she said, you know, something like, if I could have criticized myself into perfection, I'd be perfect by now. <laughs> and I do feel like, you <laughs> know, good. just part of the my interior voice, because I think it's really everybody's, is just this constant critical, like, you didn't go to the gym today, or you went, yeah. but you didn't work hard enough, and your house isn't clean, and your kids aren't polite enough. And that, I mean, just this constant sort of list of what you haven't done, what you should do, what you can't do. And so thinking like really a way, the way that God would call us to be kind to ourselves is probably not by eating chocolate or skipping the gym or going on a shopping spree, but probably does have to do with what, you know, what are you using to motivate yourself? And Mm. is it, you know, trust and hope and peace of knowing the power of God's goodness or is it you know why haven't you yet work harder I can't believe you kind of into your voice anyway that's what I'm thinking about wow that's all I can say is wow that's great (laughs) I'm also kind of sick and so it's just it's an odd (laughs) introspective week anyway so what are you preaching about I am preaching Psalm 126 Um, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like Mm. those who dreamed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the psalmist is in a place of hardship and is simply remembering a time when God did a wonderful thing mm-hmm. for the people of God. Um, and the scholars think that the psalmist is thinking back on the return from exile. Mm-hmm. Um, and Psalm 126, it's like, it was so good then mm-hmm. that we had to pinch ourselves to see mm-hmm. if it was like mm-hmm. really happening. And, uh, and so the psalmist is using the memory of that wonderful time. Uh, I think verse 2 says something like, our mouths were filled with laughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's using the memory of that time uh, to have hope and joy in the present as the psalmist waits for another time mm-hmm. when the Lord re- restores mm-hmm. the fortunes of Zion. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're, we're, we're still looking at this, this how, to, how to have joy in the midst of the storms of life, the hardships of life. And um, What I think is interesting about that for congregational preaching is to notice how in the Hebrew Bible so often... Um, the person sharing the memory, it's the, it is their personal memory of their community's history mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I like in the, um, you know, at the, at, at Passover dinners, people will say when I walked through the Red Sea, right. Just mm-hmm. this idea mm-hmm. of whatever God has done for my people, God has done for me. And so I don't just have to I'm not limited to the Rolodex of memories in my personal experience, but I really am the inheritor of all of these promises made and kept. Mm -hmm. And so if I can't look back on my own life, I can recognize that I'm part of that larger story and I can anticipate um, redemption that, Mm. which I mean, ties to what we were talking about earlier with crucifixion and resurrection, right? Like part of our joy and our certainty and our promise comes in the fact that what happened to Jesus in of the deepest sense of reality through him happened yeah. to us, right? And like Remember we, when God did that. We were well, like those who dreamed. If we died with yeah. him in a death like yeah. his, then mm-hmm. how much more so will we be raised yeah. with him in a, in a resurrection like his? And so that that's a really interesting, like just to sort of, cause, and I think it's so hard because as Americans, we're so, what have you done for me lately, and individualistically yeah. focused yeah. that to regain that mm-hmm. biblical sense of community yeah life and being a part of a people and yeah so I was watching a video clip of a stand-up comic Gary Owen and he's a white man married to an African-American woman Mm -hmm. and he said (laughs) once he was um he picked up his daughter and one of her friends from school driving home they were having this conversation in the back and um the daughter's friend said oh I don't I don't think there is a god and the daughter said, oh, I know there's a God. Because when we were slaves, God mm-hmm. was all we had. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he said, he, it, that just, that stunned him, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, clearly his daughter identifies as an African-American woman, mm-hmm. but also that that weeness, right? She wasn't mm-hmm. alive then, but there's that communal, communal sense of... Yeah, that is so uh, interesting. If you think often, like, when that does happen in contemporary culture, it's usually, and I, I understand this, it's people deeply identifying with the huge systemic injustices yeah. that have been done to their mm-hmm, people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very common for me, and I appreciate hearing from African-American activists talking about this is what happened to my ancestors and this or mm. happened to us. I'm yeah. often, it's yeah. not my ancestors. This happened, happened to us, to us. this, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and Jewish yeah. people talking about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that it's interesting that that comes a little more naturally to us when we are remembering and claiming tragedy, mm-hmm. but not 
acts mm-hmm. of redemption and acts of, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So what are you preaching? I am still in the last words of Jesus. He had a lot of them. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but Easter's coming. <laughs> in 30 seconds, yes. Um, and so we are um, chapter 15 of John and it's the vine and vineyard passage, and so it's it's building. I know it's really I good. Love that. I, I mean, I think preaching through the this farewell discourse in John has been so great. It's just so rich that mm. every chunk that you use, there's just there's universes of mm. revelation in them, and you just can't mm. you can't touch them all. So that's okay. Um, but I I think that. Um, probably do a little bit of talk about pruning because I do think that that's a concept that we need to know and that we're super unfamiliar with and just this idea that we think if something good is in our lives um it's ours forever and we want God to keep God's hands off it right and so this idea of Jesus is saying like this is how it's going to be I'm going to be in you and you're going to be me and I'm going to be the vine and you're going to be the branches and hey God is going to make sure that you're fruitful. Yay, all about that. But God is also going to be pruning so that you can become even more fruitful. And I think that um, it's just a hard... We, we just that's that's not a marketable aspect of Christianity, right. and so we don't talk yeah. about it. Um, and I and I think it's really important that we do, and particularly in light of Jesus going, you know, talking to them as he prepares to go and do the one thing mm-hmm. that everyone was certain that he shouldn't do. Like mm-hmm. whatever else you do, Jesus, yeah. don't go to Jerusalem yeah. and don't hand, yeah. you know, like don't do this terrible, awful, evil thing, which or don't allow this terrible, awful, evil thing to happen to you, right. which was objectively mm-hmm. all of those things, terrible, mm-hmm. awful, and evil. Mm-hmm. And people thought like, okay, well, the only way to have fruitfulness is just to avoid that. Yes. Don't go avoid near pain, it. Don't suffering. let that corrupt yeah. Yeah. the goodness and the power yeah. of who God is. And, and the revelation is God doesn't have to avoid those things mm. um, that God transforms in them. And so just the idea that we have, we, we experience, and I think it's helpful for churches too. We, we experience some level of fruitfulness and growth. And then we just kind of want to build a wall around that and say, God, hands off that. We yeah. got something good. Don't mess with it. Yeah. And the reality is from the very beginning, Jesus has said, yeah. Hey, if you're in me, yeah. then things are going to have seasons and you're going to have seasons of fruitfulness and you're going to have seasons of pruning and pruning is going to happen not when you've been disobedient and bad and dead. It's going to happen when you've been faithful and when fruitfulness has happened and you have to be open to that. And um, And If I remember the text correctly, I think Jesus said something like, uh, you're pruned so that you might bear more, more fruit. More fruit, right? And I think sometimes we don't, we just don't, we don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm good. Um, and I also think it's important to say, like, hey, every bad thing that happens to us is not an example of pruning, right? Like some, but what we do outrageously believe mm-hmm. is that even the most tragic miscarriages of goodness and justice are redeemed to become part of the fabric of God's goodness, right? Yeah, and that's just yeah. an offensively bold claim of grace, right? Mm-hmm. But that is what, again, like what the cross means to me. And so, and, and I do also just think it's important to say, you know, talking about growing, and I think sometimes why we are in certain roles or in certain stages of our lives and we, we're really not interested in growing anymore because we like what we have and we're not sure what's next. Yeah, and we don't yeah, want to trade yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think we've talked before about, you know, we don't have a very good idea that that there are seasons in our lives and times when they come to an end and times when we need to let go of something mm. while it's still good. And I really like that Rob Bell analogy of, you know, 
you can either let go of something while it's still good and that's a graduation, which is bittersweet but right and what you're aiming for, or you can hold on to it past the time of goodness and then it becomes a divorce, which is just painful and destructive. And I think, you know, we just need to be able to expand um, really our, our, our theological concepts and wisdom to be able to evaluate things in our lives so that when something happens that's unpleasant mm-hmm. or painful, mm-hmm. our, our go-to isn't I've been bad or God's bad, right? There has to be more yeah. more ways. And not that, I mean, there are times when bad things happen because we have been well, bad. Yes. And there's certainly, the Bible gives adequate evidence that it is an appropriate thing for a person of faith to question mm-hmm. God's goodness, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's not that those are... You know, un uh, you know unforgivable responses. It's just that they're just way too simplistic. And we who are yeah. seeking to be mature in Christ, we need to know yeah. again that the cross wasn't just some one thing that happened at one time. Mm-hmm. This is a way that mm-hmm. God is working goodness out of the f- evil and fallenness, and we're going to be a part of that if we want to follow Jesus. Yeah, that makes me uh, think of. I can't remember if it's the prophet Elijah or Elisha. God sent the prophet to stay by a brook of water, Mm -hmm. drank from the brook, and then (laughs) God sent sent ravens with Mm -hmm. bread and meat, Mm -hmm. and and then, yeah, dried up. And the drying up was not a punishment. Mm -hmm. It was to get the prophet to move to the prophet's next assignment, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. was ministry to a widow, I believe. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Um, no, and, and often I, what we tend to do, and, you know, often our congregations, we'll stay right there by mm-hmm. that brook. For as long and, as, as we can. That's right. As yeah. long as we can. Uh-huh. And if the brook dries up, we think somebody somebody stole something from us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Somebody, you know, yeah. just instead of saying, like, no, we're, you know, I have we have a good friend who's moving to a new call, and I think as we were talking through that about how hard it would be for her to leave, we're saying like, yeah, I mean, it will be hard to leave, mm. but staying would be a totally different kind of hard, yeah. and one that ultimately would not, mm. you know, would not lead to fruitfulness, right? But there's really, we talked a lot about how there's no comfortable option, and there's no easy option on the table. Yeah. There's only an uncomfortable hard option that will be fruitful, <laughs> or yeah. an uncomfortable hard option that will not be fruitful, and that is, I yeah. think, you know... Well, well, and we don't talk much in the church, or we don't we don't talk much about the church living and um, our living as individuals, a, a cruciform life, mm-hmm. right? We we want to go straight to Easter. We want to go to victory and resurrection. And build a mega church yeah. with a cruciform life.